0: chapter nine of finding a way out an autobiography by robert r moton this librivox recording is in the public domain from hampton to tuskegee in 1915 the annual meeting of the negro organization society was held in petersburg and dr washington had as usual planned to attend and had promised to deliver the annual address for the occasion it was a great disappointment to us all to receive a telegram from him stating that his health would not permit him to be present dr frissel who was with dr washington in new york came on to petersburg and explained how serious his condition was he was then in st luke's hospital new york ex-governor william h mann of virginia with whom dr washington was to have spoken delivered a strong address in which he paid high tribute to the distinguished leader of the negro race whom he said he was glad to place in the column of virginia's most distinguished sons a few days later i received a telegram from dr washington asking me to come to new york on my way to detroit and chicago where i was to fill some engagements in the interest of hampton institute i reached new york on thursday going directly to the home of dr e p roberts one of our leading physicians, who, with his brother, Dr. Charles H. Roberts, a dentist of the city, was a warm, personal friend of Dr. Washington, as well as myself. Dr. Roberts had accompanied Dr. Washington to the hospital and was well acquainted with his condition. He informed me that the probabilities were that Dr. Washington would not be with us much longer. I communicated with st luke's hospital and mrs washington answered that her husband was anxious to see me going immediately to the hospital i found him in bed but to me he did not seem as ill as i had expected to find him his mind was as clear as ever and i somehow felt that a few weeks of rest would put him in shape for the performance of his usual duties on many previous occasions i had seen him in much worse condition apparently than he appeared to be at this time i recall for instance that at tampa florida dr j a kenney the resident physician at tuskegee and dr george c hall one of our prominent surgeons and another close friend of dr washington spent the entire night with him and it seemed to me who occupied an adjoining room that he could not live through the night the next day however we visited the robert hungerford school founded by mr r c calhoun a tuskegee graduate in which dr washington and all tuskegeeans had and still have a pardonable pride and here as well as at lakeland florida he spoke with as much vigor and as effectively as i had ever known him to speak and that very morning while waiting for the meeting at lakeland we went fishing on a nearby lake with dr washington the most enthusiastic angler to all appearances he was in better condition than those of us who had not been ill i recall the frequent surprise of mr emmett j scott and the two physicians as well as of the rest of us at the apparently excellent condition in which we found dr washington on the days following these sleepless nights in our conversation at st luke's hospital dr washington did not refer to himself except incidentally he did discuss tuskegee in many phases and told me that mr rosenwald was due at tuskegee that very day and how disappointed he was that he could not be present to welcome him i recall how warmly he spoke of mr rosenwald's personal kindness to him and of what he meant to the negro race through the ymca and to the rural school building program which was just then beginning to get under way at tuskegee institute at his request i called on mr william g wilcox a member of the board of trustees of tuskegee to discuss with him some matters touching the affairs of the institute and while i expressed my hopes for dr washington's ultimate recovery mr wilcox knowing of course what the physicians had said was not hopeful he discussed with me somewhat the future of the institute asking who i thought would be the best man to take up the work in case the worst should happen to dr washington i mentioned two of the workers at the institute of whom i spoke very strongly he made no reference to me personally He went into some detail as to what i thought ought to be done in the institute with its farm trades and courses of study i gave him of course an off-hand opinion he discussed various matters and was quite familiar with the general workings of the institute in our conversation mr wilcox made mention of no one as a possible successor to dr washington as for myself i thought dr washington if he did not wholly recover would be sufficiently vigorous to continue the work for many years to come by giving up perhaps some of the more strenuous phases of it while still in conversation with mr wilcox there was a telephone call from the hospital mrs washington informed me dr washington was very anxious to have me come back to the hospital before going to the train that night i went back and spent the rest of the afternoon till train time with him and mrs washington he was very solicitous about dr frissel who at the time was not very well having already undergone a second operation dr washington and i knew of dr frissell's condition and i recall dr washington's saying what will the race do without dr frissell he remarked that hampton itself would be all right but he was thinking of the larger work of hampton the various phases of life in our country touching the races which dr frissell so effectively served I agreed with his suggestion that he should return to Tuskegee as soon as possible. I thought that amid familiar surroundings he would recuperate much more rapidly as had been true of Dr. Frissel a few months before when against the advice of his physician but in response to the wishes of friends he had gone back to Hampton which proved to be very wise on his part. Dr. Kenny and Dr. Roberts as well as the staff physicians of the hospital held out no hope but I somehow could not bring myself to believe that the end was so near. This was on Thursday afternoon and I left that evening for Detroit. On the following Sunday I received a telegram to the effect that Dr. Washington had passed away at Tuskegee. The fact dawned upon me with a peculiar sense of personal loss such as i had never before experienced in the death of any man not even in the case of my own father the colored people generally throughout the entire country had much the same feeling observing them as i rode on the train the next day on my way to tuskegee i was impressed by the air of depression which pervaded every group there was a noticeable absence of the usual mirth and light-heartedness generally so characteristic of them i have never known anything to impress the colored people so profoundly as did the passing of dr washington i had often heard that when the word came that president lincoln had been shot the colored people went about as if they had lost the dearest member of their immediate family and that this feeling was largely shared by white people as well especially the older ones this same attitude seemed to prevail among the colored people at the passing of dr washington i found on reaching the institute that it was mrs washington's wish in keeping with the spirit of dr washington himself that the funeral service should be very simple that there should be no addresses or funeral orations just a simple service with the singing of plantation melodies and some of his favorite hymns as a part of this service dr frissel who had been one of dr washington's early teachers offered prayer the following passages taken from it Reveal its beautiful spirit and touching sympathy. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. We thank thee for thy servant whom thou hast called home for his life of faith that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That like thy servant of old he chose to share ill-treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, that he counted the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, that he looked unto the recompense of the reward. We thank thee for the life of love that he lived, that no man, white or black, north or south could drag him down so low as to make him hate him and that he taught men everywhere to love one another, that he preached the gospel of peace and goodwill. We thank thee for his life of meekness, that his life was one of humility, that he did not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And we thank thee for the inheritance that was his because of his meekness. We thank thee that he did inherit the earth we thank thee for his loving friends for his devoted co-workers and pupils for this great school we thank thee for his life of service that he made blind eyes to see that he like his master made lame men to walk that he too brought liberty to the captives we thank thee for the thousands of better homes and farms that he made possible we thank thee for the better schools and churches we thank thee for the thousands of pure and better lives which he helped to create and now we dedicate ourselves anew to the work to which thy servant gave his life help us to realize the high and holy calling that was his and is ours help us that we may carry on the work to which he gave his life support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done then in thy mercy grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at last with jesus christ our lord amen following this prayer offered by a man whose own days were numbered as a few of us knew at the time about a man to whom he had given his entire confidence, and for whom he had the most affectionate regard. A former pupil of his, all depression was dispelled, and the great audience seemed to get a new vision of what Dr. Washington's life had meant, and to feel that its end was indeed a victory. After the funeral ceremonies, the Hampton graduates at Tuskegee following their usual custom asked to have dr frissell meet them informally later at the home of one of their number in the course of the evening dr frissell called me aside and remarked it appears you will have to leave hampton and come to tuskegee now it was in may of the same year that dr frissell as he was leaving hampton to go to new york for his second operation had called me into his office the afternoon before his departure and asked me if i would promise that i would remain permanently at hampton institute i told him that i would he had spoken of his own condition saying that while his health was in better shape so the doctor said and he felt better than when he had been operated on two years before yet he was not sure what the outcome would be and that if i would promise to remain at hampton whatever happened he would feel very happy of course it was not difficult to promise this because it was wholly in keeping with what i had planned after 26 years as a worker i had rather settled down to the life and work there i was enjoying my work and was especially interested in the development of the extension department in connection with the negro organization society dr frissel had permitted me to give as much time as i wished to it and i had taken on another assistant in my work in the institute in order that i might devote more of my time to extension activities in both north and south i reminded him of that promise made a few months before he said yes and i am loath to have you break that promise but it looks now as if you will have to take this work there will be a great protest at hampton about your leaving but you and i will have to face it hampton has never refused to give to Tuskegee anything that it had, and if you are asked to take this work, as I am afraid now that you will be, there is nothing else for us to do but consent. On the 14th of December, 1915, at the request of Mr. Seth Lowe, Chairman, I joined the Trustees party as they were returning from Tuskegee after their meeting following the immemorial exercises and rode with them from Charlottesville to Washington. In the party were Mr. Seth Lowe, Colonel Roosevelt, Mr. William G. Wilcox, Mr. Frank Trumbull, Mr. William M. Scott of Philadelphia, and Mr. Charles E. Mason of Boston. They informed me that my name was under consideration as Dr. Washington's successor at Tuskegee Institute. I told them of my general attitude toward the matter. I told them of Dr. Frizzle's condition and of my obligation to him and Hampton. They did not comment on what I had to say but asked a great many questions about various matters affecting Tuskegee. This was especially true of Colonel Roosevelt, who the next day sent to one of the trustees, who was not present at the meeting on the train, a letter containing the following excerpt describing his own attitude in the situation, a copy of which letter he later sent to me. We all of us ardently wish you had been with us on the train when we saw Major Moten. I am more impressed than I can well express with Major Moten. It is the greatest relief to me to say that I believe that if he is appointed, we ensure for ourselves every reasonable probability of success in carrying on the great work of Booker T. Washington. I believe that he can run the institution i believe that he will get on with the southern people as well as any negro now living i borrow booker t washington because he was a genius such as does not arise in a generation i believe that he will get on with northern white men and be able to help us in getting the necessary funds he has a very powerful and at the same time an engaging and attractive personality i cannot speak too strongly about the favorable impression he has made on me finally i believe that he will be able to wisely interpret the feelings and desires of his own people to the white people of both the north and the south the vice chairman of the board of trustees and president of the macon county bank mr w w campbell who through his father had known and been interested in the school from its beginning and two other of the local trustees a prominent lawyer mr c w hare and a successful colored merchant mr a j wilborn as well as others were particularly anxious that the man who should succeed dr washington should have the right attitude toward both races during the week of the thirteenth to the twentieth of december mr campbell i afterward learned being a member of the committee of five appointed by the board with power to select a principal without the knowledge of anyone so far as i know made a trip to virginia to find out at first hand what the people of that state thought of the man proposed for the principalship he visited danville lynchburg and other places talked with the president of the university of virginia and on the streets with many men white and black and then proceeded to richmond and hampton he conversed much with the people of hampton Among them, Judge C.W. Robinson, Judge of the Circuit Court, who afterward said that while he was a truthful man, he was tempted on this particular occasion to tell Mr. Campbell that he did not think I would in any sense do, owing to his reluctance to have me leave Virginia. After he questioned many people in the town of Hampton, Mr. Campbell came over to the Institute to call on dr Frissell on sunday afternoon he and dr Frissell had a conference of perhaps an hour into which they later invited me he announced frankly the purpose of his visit but said very little regarding what he had discovered or the impression that had been made upon him i had been asked to meet the committee the following day in the office of mr frank trumbull at 71 broadway i met the committee composed of mr sethlow mr frank trumbull mr edgar a bancroft mr campbell and mr v h tulane the last mentioned a prominent colored business man of montgomery alabama at the close of the meeting mr campbell assured me that all he had heard in virginia was satisfactory the outcome of it all was that i was asked to take the work i knew the difficulties that i would have to face not only at the institute itself but in the country generally i had lived a sort of independent life at hampton and i felt of course that i was accomplishing some good and while i was in no sense lacking in appreciation of the honor and the opportunity offered by the work of the tuskegee institute i had no particular enthusiasm about giving up the life and work at hampton i knew too of dr frissell's condition I knew, as very few knew outside of his immediate family, the character of his malady, and that he probably would not live much more than twelve months longer, and while he had released me from my promise nevertheless I felt a deep obligation both to him and to Hampton. Mrs. Moten, along with many of my intimate friends, North and South, shared this feeling very strongly, but after canvassing the situation most carefully, Mrs. Moten, and i concluded that there was nothing else for me to do but accept to enter upon the varied and delicate responsibilities growing out of dr washington's life work was not to be lightly undertaken and i confess that i would have had many and even more serious misgivings about many things in spite of the assurances of tuskegee's trustees and of many of my own friends had it not been for the kind and generous encouragement Of dr washington himself given at a time when neither of us contemplated even remotely any possible significance and value that might attach to his statements as he set them forth in his book my larger education from which i quote it had been my privilege to come into contact with many different types of people but i know few men who are so lovable and at the same time so sensible in their nature as Major Moten. He is chock full of common sense. Further than that, he is a man who, without obtruding himself and without your knowing how he does it, makes you believe in him from the very first time you see him and from your first contact with him, and at the same time makes you love him. He is the kind of man in whose company I always feel like being, never tire of, always want to be around him or always want to be near him although he has little schooling outside of what he was able to get at hampton institute major moton is one of the best read men and one of the most interesting men to talk with i've ever met education has not spoiled him as it seems to have done in the case of some other educated negroes it has not embittered or narrowed him in his affections he has not learned to hate or distrust any class of people and he is just as ready to assist and show kindness to a white man as to a black man to a southerner as to a northerner my acquaintance with major moten began as i remember after he had graduated at hampton institute and while he was employed there as a teacher he had at that time the position that i once occupied in charge of the indian students later he was given the very responsible position of commandant of cadets in which he has charge of the discipline of all the students in this position he has an opportunity to exert a very direct and personal influence upon the members of the student body and what is especially important to prepare them to meet the peculiar difficulties that await them when they go out in the world to begin life for themselves It has always seemed to me very fortunate that Hampton Institute should have had in the position which major Moten occupies a man of such kindly good humor thorough self-control and sympathetic disposition major Moten knows by intuition northern white people and southern white people i have often heard the remark made that the southern white man knows more about the negro in the south than anybody else I will not stop here to debate that question but I will add that colored men like major moton know more about the southern white men than anybody else at hampton institute for example they have white teachers and colored teachers they have southern white people and northern white people besides they have colored students and indian students major moton knows how to keep his hands on all these different elements to see to it that friction is kept down and that each works in harmony with the other. It is a difficult job, but Major Moten knows how to negotiate it. This thorough understanding of both races, which Major Moten possesses, has enabled him to give his students just the sort of practical and helpful advice and counsel that no white man who has not himself faced the peculiar conditions of the Negro could be able to give i think it would do anyone good to attend one of major moten's sunday school classes when he is explaining to his students in the very practical way which he knows how to use the mistake of students allowing themselves to be embittered by injustice or degraded by calumny and abuse with which every colored man must expect to meet at one time or another very likely he will follow up what he has to say on this subject by some very apt illustration from his own experience or from that of some of his acquaintances which will show how much easier and simpler it is to meet prejudice with sympathy and understanding than with hatred to remember that the man who abuses you because of your race probably hasn't the slightest knowledge of you personally and nine times out of ten if you simply refuse to feel injured by what he says will feel ashamed of himself later. I have seen Major Moton in a good many trying situations in which an ordinary man would have lost his head, but I have never seen him when he seemed to feel the least degraded or humiliated. I have learned from Major Moton that one need not belong to a superior race to be a gentleman. It has been through contact with men like Major Moton, clean, wholesome, high-souled gentlemen under black skins that I have received a kind of education no books could impart whatever disadvantages one may suffer from being a part of what is called an inferior race a member of such a race has the advantage of not feeling compelled to go through the world as some members of other races do proclaiming their superiority from the housetops there are some people in this world who would feel lonesome and they are not all Of them white people either if they did not have someone to whom they could claim superiority immediately after my election i was asked by the trustees of tuskegee institute to devote the next few months to helping them raise a fund of two million dollars which they were asking of the public as a memorial to dr washington i could not undertake the work immediately because of a number of speaking engagements with hampton which were to last until the early part of february at which time i entered actively into the effort of raising the memorial fund in the meantime i went down to tuskegee during the christmas holidays and remained over new year's day looking into things and getting acquainted as far as i could with the situation for while i had visited tuskegee once or twice a year for many years and had looked into the work many times it had never occurred to me that i would ever work at tuskegee to say nothing of having the responsibility for all its activities. I met the heads of the various departments in an unofficial way, talked over their work and plans, and met and talked with many of the other workers as well as students, trying to get also some knowledge of the character of the work that was being done in the trades and industries as well as in the academic department. In the interval between then and the 25th of May, the time set for my inauguration i had frequent conferences with mr sethlow the chairman of the board and could not but observe that he was not very well and that each time i met him he seemed weaker than on my previous visit on a particular day in april when i dropped in on my way to boston to see him he turned to me with some emotion and said he was very sorry that he would not be able to be at tuskegee for commencement and the inauguration I had looked forward, he said, with a great deal of pleasure and satisfaction to inducting you into the principal ship of Tuskegee Institute. No one was more interested in the work at Tuskegee Institute or more anxious for its future than Mr. Lowe. I recall how with some feeling he advised me as to many phases of the work and workers. I was surprised that he knew so much about the individual workers, even as to their temperaments. He was leaving that afternoon for... Broad Brook Farm, where he thought to spend the summer and regain his health, I never saw him again, though I kept in touch with him by correspondence and through Mrs. Low and Mr. Trumbull more or less regularly during the summer. End of chapter Nine.